to see everybody again this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us online. I really hope everyone's had a challenging week. In fact, that's been my prayer for you, that the people of Four Mile would have a really challenging week this week. Because if you didn't, it means you didn't do your homework. It means you didn't try to get after these lies that we have in our life. But before we dig in a little bit further into this section in Paul's letter, I just want to kind of step back and give a little bit of a disclaimer here, because we got to always remind ourselves that Paul is writing to the saints. So these are believers, right? These are people who have been born again. They are children of God. So they are going to heaven. That is not in question whatsoever. So we got to keep that in mind. So as we start working on each one of these things, we aren't putting off lying and putting off the anger that leads to sin so that we can get into heaven. We're already going to heaven. It's because we're already going to heaven that we can't help ourselves now, but we got to put that stuff off. So that's the way we really need to be thinking about these things. Otherwise, you can end up pretty depressed as you work through some of these things, because these are some challenges in all of our lives. And it's why Paul paints such a stark contrast between the old life and the new life. He leaves no room for any middle ground whatsoever here. He's basically saying, you've been born again. You're a child of God, so start acting like it. That old life that he paints that picture of, it's nasty. It's described as a futile mind, an inner being that's empty, perverse, devoid of truth, and depraved. But then he contrasts this with this new life. It's marked by being born again where we have a personal relationship with Jesus. We grow up becoming more like him by the power of the Holy Spirit each and every day. And the more we get to know Jesus, the more repulsive we should find the things of the old life. And that's why Paul evokes this imagery of changing clothes. We all know what it's like to wear nasty, funky, old clothes, right? you got to get that stink off as soon as you can. And that's what putting off the old self means. And then you put on the fresh new self, the robe of true righteousness and holiness, as Paul describes it. And once we've been born again, we must then do something. So this is a call to action, to put off the old self, to put on the new self. And to make sure we know exactly what he's talking about, he gives us four very clear and very detailed examples Lying, anger, stealing, and corrupt talk. Now, as we already mentioned, last week we talked about lying. If you missed that, highly encourage you to go back and check that out. All of our sermons are online. Quick little 20, 22 minutes or so of your lunch break maybe this week, but well worth checking it out. And of course, today we're going to take a look at this topic of anger. Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So now, this anger thing is every bit of a challenge as the whole lying thing was, as we learned last week. It's equally as pervasive in our lives, because we all get angry, but there's a completely different angle at play here that we gotta look into today. Because notice how Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. So he's not saying, don't be angry. In fact, he seems to be encouraging it because he says, be angry. So you're probably thinking to yourself, wait a second, it's okay to be angry? 
Because typically, we regard anger as something that's bad. But Paul doesn't seem to draw the same conclusion. After all, anger is a capacity that is innate to all of us. It's a feature of the way God made us. So Paul does not teach that we must put off anger. He says we must put off anger that leads to sin. And then maybe put on anger that does not lead to sin. So you might be thinking to yourself right now, how did I miss this all these years? I always thought it was bad when I got angry. But that's not apparently the case here. So we're going to need to roll up our sleeves to make sure we understand what Paul's really teaching here. So let's begin by making sure we're clear about what Paul means when he uses this word, anger. In the original language, it refers to indignation, wrath, exasperation, and enragement. Those are great words to capture it, aren't they? And when you look at those pictures up there, they're far too familiar, aren't they? And that's because we confront a ton of anger in our day-to-day lives. Sometimes we're on the receiving end of it, and sometimes we're the ones who dish it out. Some of us are predisposed to erupting when we get angry, and some of us tend to bottle it up. I happen to be one of those guys that erupts when he gets angry. I'm not condoning it, I'm not proud of it, I'm just saying it's what it is. But as we'll see, this teaching is every bit as much for those who bottle it up. In fact, if you think about it, the bottlers are actually engaging in the falsehoods that we talked about last week because they're every bit as irritated. They're just covering it up. They act like it's no big deal. But deep down, it's still burning in there. It eats them from the inside out. And as that pressure builds, we all know it eventually comes out. It just comes out in other ways. It's usually in a passive-aggressive approach. Yeah, we all know what that's like, right? You think everything's okay, and then that person just kind of works at you, sometimes for months, years down the road. And you're like, I have no idea what's going on here. Those passive-aggressive people, they're people who bottle up anger. Okay, so we're to put off the old self, the anger that leads to sin, and put on the new self, anger that does not lead to sin. So what Paul seems to be doing here for us is he's setting up this razor's edge approach to the issue. And we know that anger is an emotion, and it's generally around some level of heat in our lives. Like we get upset, we get heated whenever we're angry. And so we have to keep in mind that this razor's edge is something that we could tip one way or the other really at any point in time. But we gotta remind ourselves, it's not anger versus no anger, it's anger that leads to sin versus anger that does not lead to sin. So that's what we gotta understand a little bit better this morning. So let's start with the anger that leads to sin, the stuff that we're supposed to put off. Now John Calvin outlines three ways for us to gauge whether our anger is the kind that potentially leads to sin. First, whenever we're enraged over unimportant stuff, easily provoked by the littlest of things, like someone cut in front of us in line, or maybe the neighbor kids just kind of rolling across our grass. If we find ourselves getting angry over inconsequential events in life, we gotta start putting that off. It's a sign that we're on the wrong side of that razor's edge up there. It reveals that our margins are just too thin for offering grace 
and mercy to others. And therefore, we're easily distracted in our pursuit of that true righteousness and holiness. Recall that parable of the man who was forgiven a large debt that he owed. And then he went and he had someone who owed him just a little bit of money in his life tossed into jail. And Jesus used this parable to teach about the tremendous grace that we've all received despite our many sins. How then can we not extend a small measure of grace to others for minor infractions against us? When I look back over my life, I can't believe how many mountains I've made out of molehills, getting angry over so many trivial matters. It's truly humbling. So the first way to test if we're on the wrong side of this sin that leads to anger is if we're enraged by unimportant stuff. Second, if we have an excessive reaction when we're angry. And you know what I mean by excessive reaction. It's like when you completely lose it. You know what I mean? We've all kind of seen that a time or two. It's well beyond what's appropriate. For example, someone cuts us off in traffic and we shout a whole bunch of those four-letter words. We start honking our horn. We recklessly speed up so we can flip them the bird and mouth a few uncarefully chosen words. Now, I'm not saying I've done this, but I've seen this before, right? And we do that because we want to make them really appreciate how we feel about them in the moment. We exact an excessive measure of road rage, uncontrolled in our reaction, violent, vindictive, desiring vengeance. And we got to put that off because that kind of extreme reaction, it doesn't lead to forgiveness. It actually tends to provoke sinful behavior because then they usually try to get back at us. And if we've been born again, we've been forgiven. We felt that amazing sense of relief, so much so that we ought to want to share that relief with others, not tear their face off. So here again, I'm guilty as charged. Can't even count the number of times I've lost it over the years. So the second way to gauge whether we're on the wrong side of anger is if we excessively react. Third. If our anger is directed at a person instead of towards the sin itself, we can never make it personal, where we end up hating the sinner instead of hating the sin. For example, when someone lies to us, do we hate the lie or does the anger cause us to actually hate the other person, sitting in judgment on them for lying to us? If so, we got to put that off too because it leads to the hatred of others. And scripture makes it clear that God calls us to love others. So that kind of response clearly leads to sin. And believe me, I know how hard it is to not make it personal. It's yet another area in my own life that I need to work on. And so what Calvin suggests here is that we look for these telltale signs and then promptly address them so that we do as Paul is teaching, we don't allow anger in our lives to lead to sin. It's something we all have to work at. Charles Spurgeon says it well. Do not say, I cannot help having a bad temper. Friend, you must help it. Pray God to help you overcome it at once, for either you must kill it or it will kill you. You cannot carry a bad temper into heaven. Now, why would we ever want a bad temper to persist 
in our life? Why wouldn't we want to kill the kind of anger that leads to sin? And to be clear, this word killing sin, it doesn't mean atoning for sin or paying the price for sin, because only Jesus can do that. Rather, this word killing is essentially what Paul's teaching us here. It's the whole putting off and putting on thing. It's the call to action to do something, to ask, seek, and to knock, that God might empower us and then start getting after it in our life, working hard to kill it. It's resisting temptation, building hedges against anger or a temperament that leads to sin. It's resisting the urge to excessively react to trivial stuff or to be angry at a person instead of being angry at the sin. It's behaving in step with our belief as someone who's been born again into a new life in Christ, someone who's a child of God. We simply must kill it. We must actively put it off. So then what is it that we're to put on? What kind of anger is appropriate? What does Paul really mean when he says, be angry? Well, since we saw what Spurgeon said about having a bad temper or anger that leads to sin, let's look at what he has to say about anger that does not lead to sin. He writes, a vigorous temper is not altogether an evil. Men who are easy as an old shoe are generally of little worth. And this quote gives us a sense of the direction we must go to appreciate what Paul is teaching here, what he means when he says, be angry. It's an encouragement for us to actually care about things, to go hard after stuff that we should be passionate about, sometimes even trading a little bit of paint in the process. We typically get angry because we deeply care about something and it isn't playing out the way we want it to. And so Paul is saying, it's okay to be passionate. That's a good thing because being passive and easygoing about all things all the time is apt to result in a life of little worth, a life of little consequence because we didn't play it hard enough. Nothing ever really moved us that much. Or borrowing from another one of Jesus' parables, we buried our talents in the ground, and so we shouldn't expect to get much of a return. We were never passionate about anything. In fact, failing to get angry over some things may mean that we're actually numb to them. Perhaps that's why we didn't wrestle with lies in our lives last week. We're just numb to it. The numbness that comes from calluses that form when we permit habitual sin to persist in our life. So just as we turn to Calvin for ways to see when anger leads to sin, let's turn to Martin Lloyd-Jones to get a sense of when it's okay to be angry because it does not lead to sin. First, we can and should be angry, enraged in fact, at sin itself. Not at the sinner, but at the sin. In fact, sin should infuriate us because it's what separates us from God. It's what caused our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to suffer as he did, flogged and then crucified on a cross. So it's nasty, repulsive, foul stuff. It should infuriate us. We simply must start seeing sin this way in our life. If sin doesn't anger us, it should be a cause for significant concern. Because if we still enjoy having one foot on that wide, dark path, if we still enjoy our sin from time to time, then we got a question. 
have we actually ever been born again. Because if we've been born again, as we put on the robe of righteousness and holiness, our sin should repulse and it should anger us. Second, we can and should be angry whenever truth is in question. Whenever we confront the falsehoods that we discussed last week, they should infuriate us too. Because the deceit of a lie stands completely counter to our loving God, who is the 